We're going to start, I think, a new series, at least a new sermon on, on love today. Love. Uh, I like to keep it simple. Uh, but before we get into it, I wanted to, to reflect a little bit on um, my silly childhood. When I was a kid, I wanted to be famous, and probably most of you, I, I would assume most kids want to be famous, maybe, even if that being famous is like, I want to set up some lights in my room and, and do a silly dance in my room, and maybe I don't want to be really, really famous, but I want to pretend to be famous. And so I went through various stages. I grew up in the 80s, so like uh, Bruce Lee, you know, Van Damme, I mean, all your, your martial arts heroes, uh, the Ninja Turtles, which if you've been around for any length of time, you know that I have a strange obsession with them. Um, I wanted to be just like them. And I didn't just want, to, just want to be like a black belt or a ninja. I wanted to be a famous black belt or, you know, Chuck Norris type. I can just do roundhouses for days. Uh, and I also, you know, there were other times where I wanted to be a scientist and a famous scientist, kind of an oxymoron, unless you are a nerdy scientist already and you're in the know. But I wanted to be a, a famous scientist. And I was pretty young, so that's kind of the extent. Like, what kind of scientist? The, you know, the famous kind. And not, not, we hadn't got to specializations at that point. Uh, as I got older, I wanted to be in a band. I played guitar, and, and, and I played acoustic guitar for worship, and I wanted to play electric guitar for a metal band, and it was going to be awesome. And I was going to, I didn't care for the long hair, but I wanted to just thrash around and be crazy on stage while other people thrashed around and were crazy. And that never happened. <laughs> I thrashed around in my room. No. Uh, and I wanted to be, I wanted to be an actor. And so actually, I went to, believe it or not, I went to uh, school my freshman year for for theater. Uh, It was a double major. I went for theater. My parents made me go for computer science. (laughs) They won, but also I won because I could pay the bills. So so I wanted to be famous. I wanted to be known. And and whether or not we want to be famous, I think most of us have this desire in our souls to be known. Maybe not by everyone but we want to be known by someone who knows us and accepts us for all that we are. We want to be known. We, want to, we have this desire to be known. We may dress it up or talk about influence or, or excellence or leadership, but, but it, it, the driving force under it is this desire to be known. And today I want to encourage you as we think about what love looks like, I want to encourage you that, that God knows you and that, that you can be known by the world for how you love, and you can be sure that God knows you and loves you. So we're going to look at John chapter 13, the, the Gospel of John, verses 31 through 35. We're going to stand up and read the word, so if you'll stand with me. John chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. When he had gone out, Jesus said... Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. 
By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Father, we want to be known and we want to love well. Lord, I pray that you would help us to love well, that you would help us to live in such a way that, that your name would be made great and that we would be able to love people in a radical, selfless, sacrificial way. Help us now in Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat> so here's the situation. We kind of jumped into a, a situation here. Jesus is, is nearing the end of his ministry and if you read <clears throat> the book of John, the, the first 12 or 13 chapters are, it's kind of a quick pace. And then everything slows down for the last portion where it, it, it kind of zooms in on the, the Passover meal and then the passion of Christ and the death and resurrection. And so we see that they're at this Passover meal. If you were to go back and flip to chapter 12, you'd see that they're, they're at the Passover meal uh, and Jesus has just got finished washing his disciples' feet. He's, he's dismissed from the meal Judas Iscariot, the disciple who was planning to betray him. This is, I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with the story, but, but Jesus was going to be betrayed by one of his 12 disciples, this guy Judas. And so literally we just read uh, before that, after uh, verse 27, then after he had taken the morsel of bread, Satan entered into Judas. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do it quickly. So he turns to Judas and says, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now the disciples are like, oh, I guess he's going to go run an errand. Huh. Now no one at the t- no table knew what it, why he had said this to them. Some thought that because Jesus was a money bag, had the money bag, Jesus was telling him to buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. And then we get to verse 31. When he had gone out, talking about Judas. So now he's cleared the room of the traitor and he's looking at those individuals he knows are going to move this church forward. He knows what's about to happen to him and he's, he's been mentioning it and, and kind of sowing seed to let the disciples know that, hey, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna be gone and, and things are gonna have to change. And they'd be like, okay, cool, yeah, you're gonna go run an errand and you know, become king, it'll be totally awesome and, and then you'll come back. And he's like, no, I'm gonna die. And they're like, yeah, you die. He literally, Jesus literally says, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna die in certain places. And they're like, cool. What's this figurative die language that Jesus is using? Is that new slang or something? They don't get it. And so he, he's one more time coming back around and he's letting them know what's gonna happen. And so he, he, he stops because the next bit of dialogue is really Jesus preparing them for his death and resurrection. And then for afterwards, when they begin to think, oh my goodness, these are the things that Jesus said. So this is kind of a significant, if I can say that about a portion of the Bible versus another portion of the Bible, it is a significant section. And Jesus frames what he says, what he's about to be said, he frames what he's about to say about love by saying that he's going to be glorified. Now this is a word that that we kind of throw, God, could we glorify your name? We glorify, you're, you're glorious. But if you're, someone were to stop you on the side of the road and say, what does glorious mean? You'd probably, 
You know, it's when, uh, when someone is worthy of glory. Okay, wh- what is glory? That's when you uh, are glorious. <laughs> and you're like, my English teacher feels angry right now and she doesn't know why. You can't define a word with its own word. So when we think about this word glorify, when he talks about it, I like to think of uh, having a bright and shining moment. And that sounds like I'm talking to kindergartners. I'm not. I just struggle with the idea of glory myself. But there's something about glory that expresses that a person or thing is, if it's glorious, it's bright and shining in a way that is mesmerizing and awesome and excellent. And so Jesus says, thinking about that, he says, now the son of man is bright and shining and awesome and excellent. And God is also bright and shining and and awesome and excellent in him. If God is bright and shining and awesome in him, God will also make him, the son, bright and shining and awesome. It's really terrible English, but I didn't write it. So Um, we'll also glorify him and he will make him bright and shining at once. And so Jesus is, is letting him know that there's something that's about to happen that's going to be amazing, that's going to be bright and shining, that's going to awe, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to amaze people. Now, if I were to give that to you guys, you might expect to see like lasers and tanks and you know, David Copperfield like floating from the sky down like, all right, let's do this awesome, bright and shining, amazing, psh, psh, everyone gets a rabbit, like that sort of thing. <laughs> That's what I think of when I think of bright and shining and amazing. You know, I think of uh, the Redskins, a, a, a 100% no-loss season. They go to the Super Bowl, and they just destroy their enemies, and their enemies are the Cowboys. It is bright and shining and glorious. And I mean, we now see what you guys love. You're like, amazing, yes, cast that vision. <laughs> But, but th- that's what we think of when we think of bright and shiny. We think of uh, that moment where you go to your office and your, your boss is frustrated with you and you say, this is why I have to do this and this is why I'm, why I'm making these choices. And your, your boss is like, you're right. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Take my desk and my plaque. This is bright and shining and awesome and, and glorious. That's what we think about. But what does God think about when he thinks about bright and shining and awesome? He thinks about submission to his father's plan. Yeah, that's what I like to think about is obeying my father. No, no, because our, our desire in our heart because of sin is, is not always to, to obey God and not, certainly not to, to do things that are hard as an expression of glory. Not, not only that, but God's view of glory. He, when he's talking about, I'm going to glorify myself, he's not saying, I'm going to bring in tanks and lasers and David Copperfield. He's saying, I'm going to go to the cross and it's going to be glorious. He's going to be humiliated. Again, we are on the other side of the cross. and we're, we're, So we, when we see the cross, we don't see humiliation. We see glory because that's what we've been told to see. But if you step back and, and pretend it's someone else up there who's committed a sin and they are bleeding out and they can't breathe and hold themselves up, they've been whipped on the back and they've been mocked and they've got spittle running down their face, that's not glorious. That's not bright and shining. That doesn't commend someone to me. And yet, that's the picture that God has in mind when he says, I'm going to be glorified in this. God's view of glory is that he has a love that overcomes impossible obstacles. When I think about glory, I think about me. When God thinks about glory, he thinks about himself, 
but he thinks about himself in such a way that he's able to encompass the people that he loves. There's a, there is a difference between us and God because God is the only person who is worthy of glory and who should be thinking about glorifying himself. He's the only person who ought to be saying, I should be worshiped. That the best thing for you and I, for everyone to do is to worship me. That sounds weird. Even hearing it sounds weird because it's not true of Eddie Barnes. However, it is true of God. And yet, we see that God expresses glory not in just in that kind of majestic awesomeness, but in, in love that says, all these people who have, have said no to me, who have turned away from me, who have continued to disobey me, who are criminals in my kingdom, I'm going to bring them in. I'm not just going to forgive them. I'm going to convert them and change them. I'm going to make them my own. I'm going to show them how they can love me. For God, bright and shining and amazing is, is very different for us. Jesus is trying to give them a picture and frame something that they won't understand until after the resurrection, but something that will, will frame the way they live life differently once they see Jesus come back from the dead. God is glorified not only in the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, but in the suffering and death. In, in this, he's saying, I'm, I'm gonna be glorified in this hour. He's not just talking about when I rise from the dead. He's talking about the whole thing. God is glorified in the suffering and death of Jesus Christ. That's a scandalous thing to say. But it's true. Because with Jesus' life and death and resurrection, we receive glory. We experience a bright and shining moment of becoming like Christ. And we have this, this profound privilege of, of partaking of, not just seeing from afar, but being invited into the glory of God. Without this, without this kind of glory, without the kind of glory that God gives us where he invites us into this, we would be lost. The, the, the kind of glory that we think about where it's all about me, God is the only person for whom that is, that is uh, legitimate. He's the only person in all of creation who should be able to say, I am glorious, look at me and worship. Because he's God. That's what differentiates him from us. He should be the only one who, who says that and yet, he invites us into it. His glory becomes our joy. So Jesus frames what he's about to say with this conversation of glory. If God is glorified in him, talking about in, in the Son of Man, God will also glorify the Son of Man in himself and glorify him at once. And, and when I said that we will be glorified as well, Paul talks about that in Romans 8 if you want to go there, not right now. And then he says this, little children, yet a little while I'll be with you. You will seek me. Or sorry, you, a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so I now say to you, where I'm going, you can't come. I'm going somewhere where you can't come. And, he's, and he says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. It's interesting that he has just framed things and the first thing he says to his disciples is, hey guys, come here. You gotta remember, love one another. Like, he knows that they're gonna struggle with many things, but one of the most core things that they need to get early and deeply is that they have to be committed to one another, that they have to love one another. 
It's interesting that he, he phrases it as a new commandment. Because the, the command to love one another, the, the command to, to love your neighbor, that was not new. That's Leviticus old. That's really old. If you go to Leviticus, you don't have to go there now. But if you were to go to Leviticus 19.18, that's, that's one of the first mentions of, of this command to love. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Leviticus 19. We don't do that anymore because of phones, but when the apocalypse comes, we'll have to. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Leviticus 19.18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right? It's, it's as early as Leviticus that Jesus is kind of saying, this is a command that you need to love others. But Jesus, he says, this is a new command for you. And what's new about it is this, this little bitty change that you love one another. In my Bible, it says, colon, just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. See, for me, and I think for most of us, <laughs> it happens to us all. For, for most of us, the, the bar of love is, is here. And really, it's just kind of like not hate. Do you love other people? Well, I don't hate them. I don't know that we're talking about the same thing. Do you love your coworkers? I tolerate them until I get home and then I vent. You know, do you love your family? Do you love your neighbor, neighbor? But Jesus says, oh, let me, let me help you. This, this standard, well, let's put it right here. And he says, just as I have loved you. Now, again, contextually, what has Jesus just done? They walk into this, this room, and they all have disgusting, dirty feet with sandals, and there should be someone, a servant or a slave, who's there to clean their feet. So Jesus takes his outer garments off, and I'll, you know what, I'll just read it for the sake of clarity. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now again, listen to the, the language here. Jesus knows that he's about to be glorified. When I know I'm about to be glorified, I'm going to start doing a dance and like strutting and like, I'm awesome, you know, lasers out of my fingers, cool things happening. I'm obsessed with lasers apparently today. But what does he do? During supper... Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he'd come from God and was going back to God. In other words, Jesus, knowing that he had all authority, that everything was going to be okay, he does this. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it to his waist. Then he poured water into his base, a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This was a task that was not fit in some of the, the, the literature, it was not fit for a Jewish slave. They would, they would take, you know, there was like Jewish slaves and there were like Gentile slaves. And they would say, no, 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 this, let the Jewish slave go cook something. The, the Gentile slaves can do this. I mean, they are the, the, the lowest of low in the society. They would do it. And, and, and certainly not just a, 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 a rabbi, a teacher. I mean, it, and not just the son of God, 
I mean, let's not, we, we see Jesus for who he is. The son of God, he humbles himself and he washes their feet. Jesus was showing his disciples that the standard of love was much more profound and much more humbling than, than they could have ever imagined. And, and the, the thing about it is foot washing was not the point. Foot washing was intended to point to his ultimate humiliation, death on the cross. In Philippians chapter two, it talks about Christ. Paul talks about Christ. And he says this starting in verse four. Talking to the church there, he says, guys, let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in a form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. This doesn't mean that he, he stopped being God. What it means is that he took on a form of a serpent. And, and Jesus, Paul probably was thinking about this section. He's probably thinking of, of Jesus taking off his outer garment, and putting on the garment of a servant. And he goes on to say, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Love that, that fits this standard that God talks about is, is a humble love. It's not only a humble love, it's a deferential, selfless love. And it's a sacrificial love. I just want to pause for a second. How do you love other people? How do you love your spouse? How do you love your family? How do you love your children? How do you love your friends and coworkers? How do you love your neighbors? Where is the standard for you? And we'll talk more, I'm hoping next week, about loving our community and loving those who don't know Christ. But Jesus was doing something specific and creating a culture where within the context of believers, within the context of these one another's, he was saying, love one another like I have loved you. Love one another with a humble love. Love one another with a love that prefers others, that as Paul says, it, it considers the needs of others, the interests of others. Love one another with a love that sacrifices, that says, I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to drive 20 minutes down seven to go to this small group that I don't want to go to because I want to be tired, but I'm committed to these people. I'm going to love them. I'm not trying to tongue lash anyone. It's hard. We live in a busy time and a busy place, but this kind of love calls us to a different kind of life. It calls us to a life that says, this is slightly inconvenient for me, and maybe it's not super great for my kids because they've got sports or other things, or my job, you know, it would take a lot for me to, to, to switch things around, but I believe in this kind of love. I don't just believe in convenience. I'm, I'm there with you. I want life to be convenient. But sometimes it's not, and God calls us to the inconvenient often. We could look at Jesus' life and consider, was that convenient no, it was very inconvenient for God. It's pretty inconvenient for Jesus. It calls us to a radical, and it's a challenging love. And I'm, again, I'm with you. If you're like, you know what, Pastor Eddie, that's, that's all well and good, but you don't know my life. I don't know your life. I don't know your life. And, and I know that, that I might be meddling a little bit. But, but God 
calls us to live a life like Christ. And Christ lived a life that was constantly inconvenienced. But it was ultimately amazingly glorious. And he invites us to experience that kind of glory. Real love means sacrifice. It means living in a broken world with broken people who have deep needs. It means loving people enough to let your heart be broken for them. It means, it means caring about people more than just to say, well, I sent a text message. But to actually feel their pain, to feel their joy, to, to, to weep with those who weep and, and laugh with those who laugh. This is the standard. Now, now that's, that's the tough part, but listen, when, when we love like this, something amazing happens. We create a community where people see Jesus. They don't see Bill and, and Myra and Sarah and Tom, and I'm just throwing out random names. I don't think any of those people go to this church. <laughs> so imagine people in this church. But, but they, they don't see you and me. They see Christ. In their need, they come to you and they see Christ. And when I say that, they don't, mean, they don't see a Middle Eastern man with a beard and, you know, uh, uh, what are they called? Scars. They see someone who can meet their needs and who is a conduit of God's grace for their life. Have you ever considered the fact that Jesus, could, he could have just stuck around. He could have just stayed here and done all the stuff himself. He's God. He could have just been like bouncing around like I'm saving things and fixing things and the moment we get saved, poof, we go to heaven. Poof, we go to heaven. Go to, it probably would go quickly because people would start looking around and be like, I need to figure this out. People are just <laughs> popping away and I don't know, is that good, is that bad? And then, oh Jesus, I guess it's good. Poof, they pop away. But he doesn't do that. We're stuck here. Why is that? It's not because we're awesome. I mean... There's so many awesome pastors and preachers in the world who aren't me, and I'm thankful for you being here, but we all know, like, we're not here because of, we're, we're in a, a high school. We used the locker room bathrooms last week or two weeks ago. I mean, gracious. But, but he wanted, Christ wanted to form his character in you and me in such a way that, that it wouldn't just be Christ doing things, but it'd be the, all these little Christs and, and pictures and pops of God's glory all around the world. I mean, have you ever seen, usually it's like, you know, humans are destroying the world. Look at from space, all the lights. Pretend like that bad stuff doesn't exist and look at all the lights of God's glory. And you see, you know, North America, South America, and all the lights coming that's, that's what God wanted to create for us. That's what he wanted to create for the world. He wanted for your, your neighbor, for your coworker, for your family, they, for them to personally experience Christ through your unique personhood. He doesn't want to swallow up who you are, your personality. I'm thankful for that. But he wants to use you to be a picture of Christ. And he goes on to say something that it, it continues to strike me as radical. We're almost done. He says in verse 35, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples. I've said this a bunch of times, but listen. If you have love for one another, 
By this, people will know. He, he, he starts in verse 34 and says, I'm going to love you this way. This is the way that Jesus Christ loves, right? There are certain things that I do in the Barnes family, and this, this is what Barnes people do. We have cayenne pepper on everything. I don't know why. I only found out after I got married that it's weird to have a restaurant-sized container of cayenne pepper at your house. You live your way, I'm going to live my way. But that's what we do. Cayenne pepper. Pasta, salad, chili, bread. We haven't done bread, but I, I wouldn't be against it. Th- that's what we do. He, he's saying, this is what Jesus Christ, this is how the, the people in the family of Jesus Christ love. And he says, you know what? You want to know how people are going to know that you are part of my family? What he doesn't say is, it's how many scriptures you know. Have you memorized the first five books of the, the Bible? Because a bunch of people had done that. That was a common thing. That was one of the ways they taught people how to read, was you memorize Genesis through Deuteronomy. You memorize the law. It wasn't by how often you prayed. People would pray three times a day. They would, they would do it re- religiously. <laughs> they would do it continuously. And yet, Paul talks about it and reflects on it and says, if you do all of these things without love, you are doing things that are worthless because they have to be driven and motivated and rise out of love. Loving one another impacts the world because it uniquely testifies to the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's easy for you and me to say, you guys are wrong. Your worldview is wrong. I'm gonna pray for you. Here's some money. It's hard to say, Man, I love you. It's hard to love people we like when they're doing things that we don't like, let alone people we don't like. So Jesus starts this conversation. He says, oh, guys, I'm about to go. I'm about to be glorified in a way that you would never imagine me being glorified. The justice of God, the mercy of God are gonna meet on this cross and, and God's glory is gonna be shown in a way that would, would never have been thought of. It's gonna confound the world. Because of that, guys, I want you to remember this. Love one another. When you think about what it means to love one another, think about how I've loved you. Think about how I sacrificed and humbled myself to wash your feet and how I sacrificed and humbled myself to become a human and sacrificed and humbled myself to die on the cross for you. You and I, we are deeply, deeply loved. We're loved with a world-defying, God-glorifying love. And, and the bar for our love for one another has not been set here at our convenience. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not at our comfort level. I'm sorry if, if you don't. You know, people make me nervous. People make me nervous too. Sometimes I come up on stage and I'm like, do I look stupid? Jermaine, do I look stupid? You know, <laughs> like seriously, I'll walk in and be like, is this okay? Or ask my wife, is it, you know, we all have things. That's okay. You got things. You go to a small group and you're like, I don't know these people. Their house smells funny. <laughs> Everyone's house smells different than your house. Your, sm- your house smells funny, but it's your funny. So it's okay. But God has called us to love people with funny house smells. <laughs> God has called us to love people who are different than us, who maybe have different political views, who, who go to Fox News or CNN or NPR or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever the other, probably you should just not go to any of them, but, 
But God, God calls us to love people who are difficult to love, who are different to love, because there's something unique, unique in all the world about different people loving one another humbly, selflessly, and sacrificially. Would you do that? Would you consider that? Would you join a small group? (laughs) We're laughing, but I'm not joking. And and again, there's no judgment if, if, hey, I'm taking the hard sell. There's no judgment if you can't or if you don't or if this is not the season of life. But what I don't want is for you to be like, yeah, that's not for me. It's for all of us. And it's not because we're a small group church. We do small groups. We're a church that lives in community and wants to love one another as Christ has loved us. I want to be able to love you guys as Christ has loved us. Look to the person left and right. You need to love these people. These people need your love. You need one another. And you have the unique privilege of being Christ. And I'm not just being silly like, you know, we're Christ. No, you can do something amazingly supernatural just by meeting in a, in a small group, inviting your neighbor and saying, we're going to love you no matter who you are, where you come from, what your life situation is. We're going to love you. That will transform Sterling. That will transform Ashburn. That will transform McLean. That will transform anywhere where that happens because the glory of God will be evident. God loves you so much. Please love one another as Christ has loved us. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that everyone in this room would be encouraged and not discouraged. For those who are not living in the kind of community that we're talking about, I pray that we would feel a, an unction to give it a try. Not, not a shame or a guilt, because life is life and we're all figuring this out. But Lord, help us to have an unction to give it a try. Lord, I pray that you would encourage those who are living in in community, loving like Christ loved, and it's hurting, and it's breaking, and it's difficult. Lord, I pray that we would be able to be encouraged and find grace in you. That we would not give up because things are hard, but we would press in because things are hard. Lord, bless all the people who are leading small groups, who are opening up their homes for small groups. Help us to be the kind of churches where the kind of church where there are small pockets of God's glory on a week-to-week basis that encourage us, that challenge us, that help us to love you more and love those around us more. Part of this is being in relationship with Jesus Christ. It's looking at your life and recognizing that you're a sinner, that you've broken God's law, and that you need a Savior, Jesus Christ. If that's you, if you've never trusted in him today, if you've never trusted in him, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to what I'm saying and trust in him today. What that means is that, that you would say, I, I understand that I have sinned, I've broken your laws, I've lived away from you, maybe I haven't lived up to the standard of love that you're describing, and I want to turn away from that, I want to turn to Jesus Christ, who did everything I needed, he died on the cross for my sins, in my place, and I want to live a life that reflects what he has done, not tries to earn what he has done, not tries to earn God's favor, but lives in light of the f- fact that God has already favored me. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand, I'd love to pray for you, and love to pray with you. All right. Well, Father God, I pray that you would pour out your love on this people. We, we love them so much. 
Help us to live in such a way that we, we make you look great, that we, we magnify you, that we glorify you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I love you guys.